Look at them, madame. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Oh. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rupert, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Now, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yes, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Oh, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan I got a plenty from Poland but none from Sudan Or from Fiji or Uzbekistan Stamp collecting happens when we dream together Live from the Stamp Doctoring Centers of Dewey, Cheatham and Howe this is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 301, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Cash. This is Mark. This is Albert. Well, this week we are uh, continuing our expert discussion. Today we're talking about proofs that are modified to look like the actual stamps. But first, just as a refresher course, Albert, what are proofs? Well, you have two different classes of proofs. You have uh, when when a die when a die is originally made, a master die of a of a design. Um, after that, they they take they take a uh, they take a initial um, printing of that particular die proof, and those are called they're called naturally they're called die proofs. They're normally on a large-style card that has a piece of India paper that, that has affixed to it. And why and, India paper? Because India paper is rice paper, and it's very soft and take, gets the, uh, the best impression and the most color saturation of any printing. And you can, you can also discern any faults on a die quicker from a die proof. And then, after, and then after a die is made, you then tr make it into a transfer roll so you can roll it into a plate of soft steel. So after, after, the, after the transfer roll is finished, they then harden the, they harden the, the steel die, and they then take a, a uh, trial impression of, uh, of the whole plate, the, which is called a plate proof. And those are done either on India paper, which is backed with cardboard, or they're actually printed on cardboard alone. And uh, um, once again, they are the earliest and freshest impressions that you get from from a plate. And they are distinctive because the color saturation it's got the, the sharpest lines and the and the uh, and the clearest and the clearest uh, um, clearest amount of color in printing. And they're they're beautiful, and that's why there are, that's why people have collected proofs and essays for years, is that just the color and the the beauty of the printing shows more than on a regular stamp that's perhaps from the middle or the end of the, the of plate use. So, like on a U.S. number sixty-five, the three-cent uh, Civil War George Washington stamp, you're going to have number sixty-five, which is the stamp that was issued. 
then you're going to have 65 P1, P2, and P3. So P1 is the is that's that's the uh, that's the die proof, the large one, right? And what that is is like it's it's literally a large car- piece of card or cardboard with another piece of paper stuck to it, right? And the stamp on it. So you're never going to confuse that as a stamp. It looks more like a picture in a picture frame. P2. Which those were made precisely for uh, during the administration of Theodore Roosevelt. And those are of a certain size and they're called small diapers. But those were actually made for presentation. Mm-hmm. They were actually printed on a, on a wolf paper and then actually and then pasted onto gray card. And then P3. Those are, those are the India plate proofs. And then the P4s are the uh, plate proofs that are printed on cardboard. And then we also have, and we also have, we, Scott has changed the listing for the imperforate uh, bureau stamps that were actually traded out for the for stamps that they needed for the National Postage Stamp uh, Collection. That was done in the 1890s. These are the issues. Um, these are the first bureau imperforates. They're now called P5s. And the P5s, um, stamps, proofs that are uh, printed on stamp paper and then perforated. Well, the P5s are actually are actually the they're actually the stamps that are printed stamps that are actually printed on gummed gummed regular stamp paper but were 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 issued that were they were traded and they were totally imperforate. Oh, I thought they were perforated. They had no, some the perforated P, the, also. No, the P5s are total P5s are totally imperforate. For Hmm. I'm talking about. I'm talking from. I'm t- no, no. I know up to the small banknotes, the P5s were imperforated, but I believe that there were perforated proofs on stamp paper or not. Yeah, there are some uh, some issues. Yeah, that that that, there, that there, exists. Yeah, there are, there is a there is a set of there is a set of newspaper stamps that were printed for the by the American Banknote Company after the end of. The American Banknote Company contract with the United States that were printed on those plates that were originally imperforate. Those sheets were then sold. They they were perforated. They have gum, mm-hmm. they, but they originally were imperforate. They were sold to a dealer named H. F. Coleman in Washington D.C. and he actually privately perforated. Them. Oh, that's something I did not know. I was not aware of that. So all the stamp paper uh, proofs were, were orig- originally were imperforate. Except for the ones that this guy got. Correct. Ah, see, I learned stuff too. And the imperfect's got to be collected as pairs. Right. Right. So basically there are different types of proofs that we're talking about. We're talking about large ones on India paper, proofs on India paper, proofs on cardstock, and proofs on stamp paper. Correct. Now, here's the tough part. Up until, I'd say, 15 years ago, would you disagree? That's when proofs really started getting collected. Before that, they were sort of the red-headed stepchild of stamp collecting. You, you, would, you would get a lot of disagreements from a lot of the members of the Proof and Essay Society. Well, yeah, I'm sure I would, but <laughs> sorry. You would, no, actually, all, actually all, all 12 of them. Oh, no, there were, there were, there were always... There were always collectors of proofs and essays just for the beauty. Yeah. I started, to, when I had no money 
I there were several times at a, at the Sescal show in Los Angeles. Uh, among the things that I bought with my two hundred dollars when I went to the November show or October show was I several times I bought proof and essay sets. Yeah. I bought a, I bought a sixty three through seventy two, you know, in eighteen sixty one proofs in India. They were beautiful. I bought them from a guy named Paul von Stein, who later found formed a company called Von Corp. That made um, they, he made basically uh, imitation proofs and essays on the Von Corp cards. Uh, I don't know if you remember them. No, I don't. Yeah, he was he was selling them, and uh, but he had the actual proofs, and he was selling them. And I would I bought several really nice sets. I really loved certain particular stamps for the color. I really loved sixty six P three, which is the lake, which is now considered a trial color, but uh, at that time was considered a stamp. I just happened to really love the color. Is that now 65E15 or something like Something that. like that. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's happened in the catalog is, is that they have changed the cataloging of proofs and essays, um, partially because they've changed the category of, for instance, premier gravures, yes. which is the original, original so-called August design in 1861. Those used to have a major Scott number listing from the, in the 50s. Um, and that's why you see that gap in numbers in the catalog going from what is it number uh, uh, I forget what they but it's like number fifty seven through number sixty three. There's one number, and you go, well, what are the other ones? Right. Well, it's that's why um, for years people like number fifty fifty six which is now considered an essay. Right. But but interestingly auction co companies have have recently started to relist the stamp as a 56 and have sold them as 56s. Um, I can think of a couple of major auction companies that have done that in the last year because people actually still like the stamps. Yep. And um, and of the August there's at least two values, the 10 cent and the 24 cent, that have a Scott number as an August and have a Scott number as a regular scamp because you can't tell the difference. <laughs> and that, that, that's the, so that's, that was the old Scott number 58, which is now 62B, and then uh, um, old number, uh, the 24 cent, which was what, 60, uh, was 60, and now is uh, 70C. Well, you let the cat out of the bag so everybody isn't hanging, wondering what we're talking about. Why don't you give everybody a really, really fast uh, definition of what essays are? Well, essays are essays are trial designs that are done by banknote companies. They're the, they're the things that they that they submit to the post office department so that they can choose. They can. They're both an example of the work that the work that can be done, and also they are designs that were not accepted by the postal post office department but some some there are some essays that look so much like the regular stamps that if you don't know what the regular stamps look like you can be fooled uh, some of the low value 1869s do that yeah they have uh, they have they have what are called small numeral essays and if you did don't look carefully and you just want a never hidden stamp there there are there is a stamp that exists it comes out in the basic shade of the stamp of the Scott 112 which is the buff but it's actually an essay, and it's valued for much less. Yeah, and again, what they do is, you know, they print them, and then they send them in, and somebody will go, you know, Washington's head looks too small, or the numbering, or we don't like the font. Change the font. That was one that was on uh, YouTube the other day. Somebody was discussing the font on something. Anyway, uh, so 
they printed the stamps. They went to the officials and the officials made comments on them and then those were changed. The second thing, of course, that you didn't mention is trial colors are also included in this essays in that, you know, they go, well, should this stamp be red or blue? Before the UPU said these values have to be these colors, they go, yeah, this stamp, uh, I really don't like it in red. I'd rather have it in purple. And they went through the colors also for the trial trials. And uh, then like you uh, have open to your Scott's catalog, sometimes they just have totally different designs, like the 1869 issue with the tabs on top to rip off. So instead of canceling it, you rip the tab off. So uh, essays, we're not going to talk about too much, but that's basically what they are. But and the other type of but the other type of fraud that can happen is uh, people don't realize that some of that there are banknote grill essays that exist that that are um, good point that are that are have that people have offered to people as the regular unused banknote grilled stamps. Okay, so now let's get into expertizing and uh, making proofs into stamps and trying to sell them as such. One of the things that you brought up was the fellow who took the ones on stamp paper and perforated them. That I always thought was an official thing. Turns out it's not an official thing. Um, that's one of the ways they took the stamps on stamp paper, added perforations to them. And all of a sudden, voila, you've got supposedly more expensive stamps. How would you tell those apart? The, uh, I remember as a young young professional philatelist going into a st store at 3 East 57th Street in well, New York. Well, you're still young. Come uh, on. Stampazine, and I would the way they tested me is that they brought out a book of they brought out a book of their higher value things, and in there was a beautiful never hinged block of one one twenty two, which uh, is the ninety cent eighteen sixty nine value, and if you took it out and you turned it upside down, yes, the grill was really nice and the gum was really nice. The perforations weren't really nice. The perforations were typical reperforation perfs. But other than that, it was done in such a way that that they always pulled that out at the time at the time their expert, Irv Koslow, who also was at the PF later on, he said she said, We we like to know if our customers know anything when we first meet them. So he brought them out. The key thing with proofs is that proof impressions are the sharpest and brightest and and they are, they are exceptional. Now, India paper has a lot, lot of. Uh, well, hold on, honey. Before you move on, that's really one of the most important parts of it. What are you talking about with really sharp? I mean, try to describe. Even though we're, you know, a podcast, we're in words. It would be so easy to show people. Unfortunately, we can't do that. It was. It's almost as if it's almost as if you're looking at a painting rather than a stamp. You know, when you look at a stamp, usually the impression is somewhat muddy and all that. The impression, the impression, all the lines are perfectly clear. All the lines are, all the lines are very. Uh, um, the colors are the, the, as bright as you can imagine. Um, the other thing now it depends on what it's been made of. So there are th three kinds of faking fakes that I've seen. You, I've seen 
fakes of unused number ones and twos made out of large dye proofs that have been cut down and they th- they thin it down and then they it's on india but they still they'll back the india with some other paper and then regum it i've seen those those kind of counterfeits um, but once again the color and the lines are all the sh- all the fine lines that usually aren't printed as as the plate gets worn they're all there oh especially us number 1 you can get, you know, you can get some really nice impressions, but it, very quickly it turned into just sort of muddled, no detail. But, but, but the fine, the fine hairlines at yeah, the top you, of the stamp oh. are just, they're, they are sharp on a proof yeah. and they're never sharp, even in the best, in the best working, working impressions that you get, even from early, early, from the, from the 1847 first printing. They just aren't the same level of clarity. And the 1869 is one that pops up because there are a lot of proofs of the 1869, and they are sharp, and they are brilliant, and you can see all the very, very fine detail. And if you've seen the normal stamps, that detail is all muddy, and as the plate wears, it's gone. Now, when you get to plate proofs, you have two different you have two different issues. On the P3 fakes, which are made and printed on India paper and usually backed with something and then gummed and with a fake grill, for instance, on an 1869 issue, um, India paper has a lot of natural flaws because it's literally rice uh, it's rice fiber that's been pounded into really small little bits. But if you actually look on the face, you'll actually see the rice fiber on there. Um, I just looked at a 15 cent um, 1869 that was submitted as never hinged, and it was made out of a out of a P3. And one of the easiest ways I can tell is it it has, still has the little little rice fiber lines in it that were apparent, including some of the little rice fiber in it. Um, a, gr- a great impression. Uh, the perforations were no good. The stamp was definitely regummed, and it didn't have any discernible grill. But it had been submitted as a as a never hinged six cent 1869. I know the person who submitted that, and he's not going to be very happy. Well, I'm sorry for that customer, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it's just the way it is. Now, now with- back to that stamp, though. He, I can use his first name. His first name is Lee. If you guys can figure out who it is, we have a ball. Um, Lee brought in three stamps: the six cent, the ten cent, and the twelve cent. And the ten cent and the twelve cent. We looked at them. And they were like just immaculate. They were bright. They were they were glowing. It was incredible. And I go, you know, from five feet away, I tell him they're fake. They're proofs. And he goes, How do you know? And he goes, Look how nice and clean and crisp these printings are. And typically well centered. And per, yeah, very well centered. And so he goes, Oh, but the six center, we looked at it and go, you know, the six center, this is odd this one has doesn't have that really super proof impression and it looks different and the perforations look kind of normal and stuff like that you better submit that one and so he submitted it and now you're uh it, that one was a proof also yes it was a p3 and it was it was clearly a p3 because it had rice fibers in it on the on the surface and you can see where the rice fibers may have actually even fallen out of the paper it leaves it leaves like little furrows in the paper if you look at mm-hmm. it if you look at it and just let the light hit it so and you can see the texture of the paper well lee i'm sorry to uh break this to you uh 
I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but uh, your cert ain't going to be that good. <laughs> so the the other the other thing that gets counterfeited a lot is people take the cardboard proofs and they thin them down. Click and so cardboard has a certain amount of thickness, so they actually thin it down, and it's really uh, it's really quite an art when they can thin it down so it's, it looks even. The, the the paper thickness looks even. Most of the cardboard proofs that have been made into fake stamps. Uh, the the, the uh, uh, you can tell that it has highs and lows in the paper, and that you can tell by dipping it, and, or you can actually just press the paper, and you can actually feel the valleys in the in the paper. Um, and this one is incredibly common with official stamps mm -hmm. because you can find official proofs all over the place. They run between five and ten dollars each. And so people, there is an incentive for turning a $5 stamp into a multi-hundred dollar stamp. Uh, but again, you have this problem. It's printed on cardboard, and you have to get that cardboard down to stamp paper. The, hardest, the other hard thing to do is trying to, trying to actually create, create genuine perforations. It's, most people just use a guillotine reperforating machine, the one that goes straight up and down. That's not how genuine perforations are made. And if people want to learn more about that, go back a couple episodes and listen again to the reperforating one. We described this very, very in-depth. And so, uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a very common problem, and it's a, it's a problem especially with, with people really want, people always have holes in their unused album, the earlier stamps, and so those are the stamps that almost certainly need to be authenticated. Yeah, also the, uh, the proof paper, the cardboard is a very high quality uh, because they wanted to create a big impression. So the paper is different, and then when you shave it down, the, the proofs are softer than the stamp paper. Uh, they don't, uh, they don't, um, they don't flip as much, you know, they don't click when they, yeah, when they don't, you flip when them. You, when you flick them, they don't, they don't have any elasticity, elasticity like regular stamp paper has. Yeah. So, so let's see to some summarize the different types of proof. If you have a proof that's printed on India paper, then you can tell from the impression and the color, obviously, but the fact that that paper is incredibly brittle. It's very difficult to lift that paper off and put it on into another piece of paper that is then perforated or something. It's, it's a very fragile paper. So that one's a tough one. Then you have the cardboard proofs, which need to be shaved down and perforated. And again, you have a really big problem with shaving it so that it's even. People use like fine grade stamp paper and stuff like that, but you still, it's nearly impossible to make sure that the entire thing is even throughout its entire, uh, the entire piece is the same thickness. And so when you dip it, you'll see it'll look like big, gigantic watermarks. Like yeah, a modeled, a modeled, big appearance. modeled watermark in the center of it or on the edges and stuff. It'll look odd. And then there you, uh, and then the last one is the stamp paper. That one's more difficult because that's printed the way. But again, you have the clearness of the design and the color and stuff like that. On all three of them, then you have to look at the perforations because they have to be perforated, except for fake number ones and twos. And you have a reperforation issue. Is there anything else? Because 
these stamps are out there. And um, I remember Jacques Schiff. He was giving a uh, lecture at one time. And he said, and, and it, this is his anecdotal, because I don't see the same thing. But he said one-third of the $5 Colombians that he sees are proofs being sold as $5 Colombians. Personally, I don't think it's that high, but it is a significant number. Well, let's t- let's talk about let's talk about a relatively complex counterfeit that I saw a year ago um, in New York. Um, I was uh, I was at the Philatelic Foundation, expertizing for them as I do when I'm in New York as a volunteer, and I was given a, a Scott number forty six. That's the thirty cent um, eighteen fifty seven design, eighteen sixty design, um, special printing or reprint actually. It had a it had a 1980 certificate, but um, but another one of the experts mentioned to me why doesn't this stamp hit any of the gate any of the perf gauges, and I said this bothers me too, so I looked at the normal 50 or 60 items that I was there to see that day and kept put it at the bottom, just because I had looked at it first and then I said there's something wrong about this but I'm going to have to put more time in it, so I had the opportunity finally after having. It's always nice to look at a, some, a lot of different things because you sharpen your eye and you sharpen your senses. So I looked at again. I looked at the stamp again after about three hours, and then I started to look at the edges. And it turned out that it had been that somebody had taken a piece of salvage from from the from the re, from the um, uh, from the reprint, like a, a, um, a wing, some in, unprinted area of the of the stamp paper, and had. Reperforated it and then cleverly had added a a, a clipped down uh, P3 impression onto it and had pasted it on there, and it was a very well centered stamp. But I I managed to get a corner of it lifted, where I, you could actually uh. see. It. But it it was it was such a well done job. I just said. Here were the two things that bothered me about it. The impression was much nicer than the work the normal uh, the normal impression on a 46, and I said. If I didn't know this better, I would say this is a proof. So then I went to look and see. Normally, it's the edges and it's the corners that become the issue of how do you how do you get it to stick. So that's a, that's a case of where a very sophisticated uh, counterfeit was made out of out of basically maybe a hundred dollars worth of proofs and paper, and it turned it into like a thirty five hundred or four thousand dollar stamp. Yeah, and they and it had been sent in again to get a grade. And so it would have graded. Otherwise, it would have graded at least eighty-five. So that's a that's a so. So instead of getting an eighty-five, it went back as uh, sorry. Uh, Correct. Yeah. And and that that thing happens. Now the the other uh, the other kind of fake that we wanted to talk about just for a moment. There are some stamps that have become very valuable and very popular that at one time were not, and that those are the. Uh, those are the official speci- those are the official special printings, which all were issued with a specimen overprint. Yeah, describe that because people see these and they think they're specimens. They're not specimens like the Scott's catalog or everybody says. These are different. These are actual special printings. Yes, they were a special printing much la- much later on. 
that were sold by by the post office department. They actually sold them in envelopes that said specimen stamps, mm-hmm. but they were actually they were actually a completely special special printing. And the only reason that they got a specimen overprint was because they were official stamps for official use only. So the specimen it made it impossible for them to be used by any postal patron. Yeah, the normal special printings, they the post office sold them. And you could use them. You could put a special printing on a stamp. And you see many of them were. These were printed specimen so that they were not valid for postage. Now, these stamps were, were, were generally unpopular for over 100 years. And uh, they were usually just sold as, as sets for, for people. They've only become popular and valuable really in the last... 30 years? I, would, I years. wouldn't even see that much. I'd say 15 to 20. But, for instance, we, ha- we have a... we have a. So, in front of me right now, I have a 24-cent war department, which has a... which uh, The question for... It has a specimen overprint that somebody actually uh, blacked out, and uh, they put a fake cancel on it because it was more valuable as a, as a used 24-cent war department rather than a specimen overprint. Which is exactly the opposite of today, by a lot. So now the stamp gets $1,400 in the catalog, and, so, somebody, yeah. and so somebody's re- tried to remove all the, all the fake cancellation, but in order, to, in order to, for us to actually authenticate the specimen overprint, we have to look at that under a microscope and make sure that the spacing and the lettering is made with a, with a letterpress. And not with a laser printer or something like that, but in this case it is. But when you put it under the VSC ultraviolet, you can obviously tell that it had a fake cancel applied to it. But many, 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 many of the the used officials that I've run into are specimen. They've had the specimen obliterated one way or another. A lot of people like to put indie ink over the over the specimen so you can't see it. Um, uh, other other people would uh, other people would. Uh, I've seen uh, I've seen a cover made out of fake specimens where they overlap the stamps in a way that you can't see the specimen, um, but uh, uh, but because of the understanding and the we've had a number of articles written in the in the uh, U.S. Philatelic Classics Chronicle about what the special printings are and why they're more valuable and the actual real scarcity of them. That you're talking about some issues which. Um, there's less than 100 of of one value printed. Oh, it's worse than that, actually. Uh, There was a collection of them that went to auction, I'm going to say, five or six years ago. And I started collecting these, and I had a lot of them, and I loved them. But there was, uh, I believe it was, well, there's a couple values. And there's 100 of them known. And here in the auction there's a partial sheet of 60 of them. And you look at it and go, well, if there's a sheet of 60, that means there's only 40 of them that you could actually get. So there's 100 known, but there's only 40 of them that you can acquire. And some of them are even worse than that. You know, they're still in these large multiples. You can't get them. And I, you know, if people want to collect something now, they took a big, huge jump already. Whether they're going to take another jump, who knows? But the specimen overprints on the uh, officials, I think, are a fantastic place for you to acquire truly rare items. 
Now, they're hard to find because they're truly rare, but you can acquire truly rare, rare items for what is still today a reasonable amount. And multiples are very multiples are one thing that are very scarce in all these. Anything that's a strip or a block. Oh yeah. And but the catalog now is showing that because it's showing basically it's pricing based on recent catalog recent auction realizations. And one of the things to do is when you see one of these in somebody's uh, inventory and their perforations are scissor cut, and the perforations look kind of bad, you go. Yeah, you know, these these perforations look really really bad. I'm not can you do something on this price cuz this is, you know, in reality that's kind of normal. They cut them apart with scissors. So, while it does affect the value, it doesn't affect the value a lot, but the dealer may not know that and may knock the price in half and you can get a really good deal. A, pro- a prominent collector of the of the special printings um Likes the ones that are scissor cut because he actually has his his theory is is that because he's bought he specifically likes scissor cut sets because he actually feels that what what they how they remove them is that the ladies actually put all the sheets together and cut them apart and win two mm-hmm. two clips. Yeah, and uh, it's <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it this totally off the subject, but um, I also used to collect Afghanistan. I've stopped collecting it because I can't find it. But early Afghan stamps. They didn't cancel them. They'd pull part of the stamp off. They'd rip a part of the stamp off. And there have been many times when I have gone to a dealer and looked at their Afghanistan and said, well, all these are faulty. You know, what can you do? And they'll charge you a couple bucks for a couple hundred dollars worth of stamps. And you sit there and go, oh, thank you very much. You walk away and go, these aren't faulty. They're used. That's how they canceled them. (laughs) That's with the first stamps of Hawaii, the Hawaiian missionary issues. That's what Postmaster Whitney did is he actually tore the stamps off. That's why there are a number of covers that literally have a small fragment of the missionary on it. Hmm, Interesting. Well, actually, one of the uh, best stories I have ever heard on one of these was from Mark here. So yeah. <laughs> why, why don't you give your story? Because this is a truly great story. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I was at a stamp auction, um, uh, Christopher Harmer's uh, stamp auction, and uh, it was a it was a real bloodbath. I wasn't I wasn't winning anything, and I had passed on a back of the book collection that had a, a an opening bid of of ten thousand dollars, and uh, and and everyone else had passed on it too because it didn't sell in in the in the uh, in the auction. So at the end of the auction, I was. Uh, I was pretty dismayed because I hardly bought anything. So I, I said, I can't you know, leave this place empty-handed. So I, I, I bought the uh, collection for the opening bid after the auction was over because you can do that. You can buy unsolds. And it had uh, the full set of, of uh, dollar value uh, officials, the, the State Department's. Uh, but everybody, including me, thought, nah, these are probably fake, uh, especially the $20, you know, because it was the, the – Purse had been cut down, and you know, was scissor trimmed, and it was, you know, wasn't that uh, that good looking. But uh, when I got it home and uh, and started to take a really close look at it, I discovered that uh, it actually under, under ultraviolet light, that the specimen, it was overprinted specimen, but it had, it had been chemically altered 
to have the specimen removed. Because this was in red ink, not black ink. Right. Red ink is kind of unstable that way. Right. So this was obviously a situation where years ago when the specimen overprints were uh, were shunned, um, uh, a person thought, well, if I can take off, if I can remove the specimen overprint, you know, I can sell this as a $20, you know, uh, um, value. And, uh, and it turns out now that the, that the, uh, that the specimen 071S uh, has a catalog value of $160,000. Um, and how many of them are there? Right. And there's only seven known. This would have been, uh, uh number eight. Um, so, um, so in, I, I got it certified and, uh, and it was indeed a, a specimen. Uh, overprint is certified by PSC and uh, also certified by PF, um, but um, it was it, it's it's tough to uh, to uh, um, exhibit something like that because this overprint is missing. You know, yeah. you can only see it with uh, with ultraviolet light. Okay, the ninety nine. Let's do a ninety nine dollar question on a lot of stuff, but ninety nine dollar question. Would you sell it for? I sold it for $10,000. You paid for the entire lot with one stamp, one stamp that yeah. everybody thought was fake. Right. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> okay, now uh, $99 question on uh, some of the other stamps. Um, let's say you have a nice plate proof of a $1 Colombian, and it's sh a shaved card proof. Or in India, I don't think it really matters. They fixed it up. They made it look like a stamp, perforated it. The stamp, I believe, catalogs $1,400, mint, mint hinged. And uh, Albert is flipping open real quick to see what it catalogs. Uh, 241 in hinged condition counts $1,000. Okay, $1,000. So if it, was a, if it wasn't real, if it was a fake proof or a proof that was faked to look like it what do you think the market value of it is you could probably get between 20 and 50 dollars for it yeah because people will fill the space with a shaved and perforated proof because you know even though it's it, it's not a real stamp it still looks fabulous oh it looks better than a real one yeah yeah i i tend to agree 25 to 50 bucks i mean we've seen we've seen collections full of stuff that's all proofs and you just you just have to downgrade it to like around five percent of value. Yep. Yeah. But it's it's an inexpensive way to to fill a space. You could fill the space with a card proof, but it sticks out. You could. Whereas a shade and perforated proof, you know, it 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 looks kind of real and impresses your friends. And it's better than cutting a picture out of an auction catalog and sticking it in there. Right. <laughs> I tend to agree. You know, there is. These things don't have zero value, but like we just said, it's worth 25 to 50 bucks. If you saw one in a uh, stamp shop or on eBay or something, uh, you know, a $1,000 stamp, you may be paying $500. Realize that that stamp is probably only worth 50 bucks. You got to know how to differentiate this stuff. Now we also see we now don't we see the same problem with some foreign stamps? Oh yeah, this is not unique to the United States by any means. Canada has the same thing in spades. Uh, let's see what other countries. I know that there's quite a few Western uh, European countries that have it. Uh, it um, interestingly, you're starting to see some South American countries with some of the Cebex that are rare. 
and all of a sudden you find out that you know these proofs are not rare at all and you're starting to see some of these stamps that you know you poo poo all of a sudden these things are valuable and people are starting to fake them now for the uh, benefit of our listeners please explain what a seabeck is oh <laughs> this fellow named seabeck uh, he was hired by some South American countries, several of them, and they basically said, you know, we don't want to print our own stamps. This is expensive and stuff like that. Can you do it for us? And he said, sure. What I'll do is I'll print the stamps. They'll be good for a year. And after the year, you know, I'm just going to keep printing them, but they won't be valid for postage. And the country said, hey, that sounds like zero cost to us. And he goes, yeah, zero cost. Well, what do we have to lose? Do it. So, you know, like Nicaragua everybody and Salvador, a lot of Salvador. So you'll see the stamps, and every single year they have a different design. And they're incredibly scarce used. Getting them used is really, really a cool thing because the catalog value does not reflect the actual rarity because – you know, they sort of look at it like uh, these stamps are really super common. People can just bang cancels on them. Well, if you can get one that's got an authentic cancel on it, you've got a really scarce item that's highly collectible. But the, again, this this Seabeck fellow, and then he sold the stamps in the pallets, in the banker boxes full to the stamp collecting community, and they are everywhere. So that was Mr. Seabeck in his uh, way of making money which kind of is uh, still going on today with some of the countries, uh, you know, Grenada, uh, some of the quote-unquote stamp mill companies, excuse me, some of the stamp mill countries that are out there, they kind of do the same thing still today. Hmm. Now, there's an interesting there's an interesting note on page 41 of uh, the uh, 2021 Specialized under Scott number 255. It says... The plate block of 255C, which is a vertical pair imperf horizontally, is in a unique block of nine stamps. Beware of a 255P5 plate block that has been known to have been reperforated to resemble 255C. Oh, that's interesting. They point it right out on the catalog. Well, anything else? Don't buy fake stamps and have a good day. We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. <laughs> because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had 
lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this still cop was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.